Well, a lot of times these traveling men come in here and they wonder if I can uh, get them something to drink. Oh, yeah. You talking about liquor or uh, soda pop? Well, they tell me the two of them go together pretty good. Yeah, they sure do. If and you'd like, I could maybe run down the street here and... Uh, Bet you could, boy. Not without his boy. Well, it looks like a B.A.R. rifle to me. That's what it is. You got any idea what I use it for? No, sir, I sure don't. I'll tell you, I use this for hunting, moonshiners, and bootleggers, and anybody else that uh, indulges in the illegal sale and drinking of liquor. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons, and whack ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast. It's a degree absolute. absolute. Glenn. Chris. Riddle me this. Okay. How are we like Bobby Pat's Batman? Or I, I guess I should say Bobby Pat's the Batman. Uh, we're moody and slight. Fair. But uh, what I'm looking for is we're in year two, buddy. No, that's true. We are in year two. We are in the second year of the Gotham Project. We are Uh, journaling about it every night. And the town fathers would stroke their beards and cluck their tongues (laughs) and say, we would never get this far. And yet somehow. Glenn, they said it needn't be done. Mm, That's true. Uh, (laughs) They weren't wrong. (laughs) I'm glad it's done. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And if and you can read this badge, uh-huh. it, it mm-hmm. still says co-host, pal. Yeah, it does. Will Gear before the Waltons. Yep. Yep. Boy, so I, I know I've been trying your patience, perhaps that of our beloved listeners, by extending our mandate beyond, far beyond, the, the 17 episodes of The Prisoner into uh, Patty McGee's, should we say checkered filmography? Let's say eclectic. Let's say eclectic. I'll go with eclectic. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy you there. Yeah, you know, so um, it is with a heavy heart that I must here ask you, and I, I really am asking, I am not arbitrarily assigning, as I as I sometimes have in the past, uh, to consider the the following titles for addition to our, our ever malleable syllabus. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Charlie's Angels, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, mm-hmm. We Are Marshall, Terminator Salvation. No. This means war. Okay. This means war, full throttle. Three days to kill. Three days to kill salvation. The babysitter. The babysitter killer queen. The babysitter full throttle. The babysitter salvation. 
right. something called Rim of the World, which I can't believe is a mm. is a real <laughs> movie. Okay. Like I thought that in six minute chunks. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 keep going since you you haven't stopped me yet. Uh, the TV uh. pilots for Chuck Fastlane, The Mysteries of Laura, Kevin from Work, Shadow Hunters, Lethal Weapon. I actually did watch the first season of the Lethal Weapon TV show, Glenn, and uh, what I mostly remember about it is that uh, it used NPR podcasts as the butt of a joke for yeah. for how uh, how uh, white. Roger Murtaugh supposedly is. His own his own son tells him, Hey Pop, what you listen to? NPR right. podcast? I am not finding the thread here. I'm sure there's a thread, but I'm not finding it. Glenn, these are all McGee projects. They are not. They're all McGee. He was not in Charlie's Angels. McGee. No, no. Okay. Not not Patty McGee. Okay. McGee. Now, now I get it. Good <laughs> lord. I should have gotten it at Charlie's Angels full throttle. But uh, nope, nope, I didn't. Okay. There was a, a minute when he was going to direct Superman Flyby, Glenn. We, we dodged a like fly. bullet there. Doesn't like to fly. Doesn't care to fly to Australia. Yeah. He and Stanley Kubrick have that in common. Uh-huh. Fear of flying, not fear of Australia. Although, mm. you know, Kubrick, you never know. He was a you never know. He weird, was, weird guy. Squirrely dude. <laughs> All right, so... So I now get the thread. I now get the bit. <laughs> oh, good. Um, and I think our listeners probably picked up on it before I did, but that is that they should feel no pride in that. Because uh-huh. On the uptake, I am slow. Why are we talking about the filmography of McGee, Glenn? That's a penetrating and insightful question, Chris. Uh, actually, I'm going to ask you to um, pick one of those. One of those. If you had to watch one, I I liked I liked Charlie's Angels. Really. Yeah, the did. Charlie's Angels, the movie. Yeah, I liked it. Okay, there's there's some laughably bad fight choreo in, in that movie. I mean, fight choreo yeah, okay. and everything. But uh, and that's me kicking your ass. I, I got. I'm, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. I don't think we need to watch this for this though. Terminator Salvation had uh, had its no, moments. Nope, had nope. had some interesting ideas. Nope. Uh, little Anton Yelchin, may may he rest in power, as yeah. uh, Kyle Reese. And uh, I can't be mad at anything that that makes room for old Ironsides, Michael sure. Michael Ironside of Scanners and V and Top Gun and Starship. Yeah, Papers yeah, yeah. And, no, yeah, we've yeah, already yeah. had it. We've we've I think fulfilled our Michael Ironsides content <laughs> on this. Uh, <laughs> it's like a certain amount of Canadian content has to be done. Yeah, and, uh, they we, we knocked kicked it out of the park with uh, Scanners. Zero percent of our exorbitant production budget. The, yeah, the uh, Canadians. All right. Why are we declaring our eternal fealty to Canada, Glenn? I Our don't know, Chris. Neighbor to me. the north. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's because of 1966 Patrick McGowan star of the long-running TV spy series. Danger Man resigned to the height of the show's popularity <sighs> to create a new series about a spy who resigned okay. from government service and wakes up in a mysterious inescapable village where many, albeit certainly not all, residents are referred to only by their numbers. Surreal and provocative, silly and pretentious, ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lavid lampedly of its time, that short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. Yeah, it was. Furthermore... Mm. And this is where I was supposed to write a little intro addressing the the subject of our investigation tonight, the 1970 adaptation of the 1969 Elmore Leonard novella, The Moonshine War, which he adapted himself. Notably, uh, all of the the beloved, really, you know, universally great Leonard adaptations like um, Out of Sight and Get Shorty and Jackie Brown and both versions of 310 to Yuma, he did not adapt those. He handed those off to other screenwriters. 
but I forgot to do that. So uh, in, instead, I just want to point out this was part of the, I think, three-picture deal that Patty McGee signed with MGM that included Ice Station Zebra, which we, we already discussed last summer. This film, the, the Moonshine War, another one that I don't think ever came to fruition. When his casting was announced in 1969, Patty McGee signaled the great enthusiasm and commitment he would bring to this role by telling the Los Angeles Times, you have to do something from time to time to pay the rent. <laughs> it is fascinating to look at this film in context. This was his very next project after the prison. <laughs> I think it's safe to say it's kind of a pivot for him. He is uh, playing a very craven, grasping, cowardly character. Uh, I think that must have been fully intentional on his part. But yes, that's what we're talking about today. That's right. Uh, so that's why we must welcome you all into the private, personal, by-hand, tangent-tolerant, but properly punctuated, punch-card-driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series, The Prisoner, and related documents. And we... And we are grateful that we don't have to explain this sweaty bit to a guest. Uh, as much as I love our guests, I'm glad we don't have to go through that again uh, right now. But instead, what we do is we push it. Like we're a group of moonshiners dangling an IRS agent out a hotel window like so many Suge Knights to Patty McGee's iced tea. <clears throat> wow. It's, um, well, it's not, it's not topical. It is germane to mm -hmm. the text. And the piece de resistance, Glenn, is that you said iced tea when I'm pretty sure you meant vanilla ice. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, okay. I got, you know, respect. Got to give you a, a solid, solid five there, Glenn. I'll take it. We file it like it's Department of Treasury dossier on alcohol, comma, illegal production and distribution of, see also Kentucky, comma, state of, see also Martin, comma, son. Wow. Your filing system is meticulous. Mm -hmm. You know, like Alexander Hamilton, your, your papers are, are orderly. I don't feel like Frank Long, the crooked revenue man, revenuer, revenuer. He's a treasury guy, like like Elliot Ness, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Yes, he is. Yeah, I don't feel like he would be meticulous necessarily, but... Mm, His superiors mm. might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although, I mean, he's getting away with a lot here. Like, they are. That's they true. have this man on a long leash. Uh, I'll give you a five. Solid five. Solid five. Okay. I'm liking this. I think we're going to go downhill. Uh, we stamp it like it's a whiskey barrel. Probably XXX. Hmm. If we're in a Looney Tunes. Sure. sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you're you're playing on my affection for Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll give you a four. You're you're okay. avoiding Rover, but just barely. Okay. We index it like it's an archival system for the expeditious retrieval of a de Department of Treasury dossier on alcohol, comma, illegal production and distribution of. Hmm. It's very insular, reflexive, mm -hmm. self-referential, but mm -hmm. um, were I to uh, fault it for that, I would turn into a pillar of salt or something. So, uh, okay, four. We brief it like we're Frank Long reporting to his superiors in one of them old-timey phones in a hotel corridor. Does he call into his superiors or does he call Dr. Tauby, his, uh, his crooked dentist rapist... Uh, I believe at one point accomplice. he is reporting to his superiors. They call him, I believe, but yes. Hmm. All right. Four. 
We debrief it like we're a well-formed young swain who stops at the wrong diner at the wrong time. Yeah, I actually noted the name of the the Greasy Spoon, uh, the Four Star Cafe. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds probably an aspirational name. Uh, The days before Yelp, when you could just say any damn thing you wanted to. Those were not Michelin stars, probably, although the salmon croquettes and Coca-Cola... Are, um... Yeah, that sounded awful. <laughs> All right, I got to give you a five for that one. No, I got to give you a six for that one, Glenn. I'm going to be oh, generous. Gotta, gotta give it up. That's a six. And we number it like it's one of the days of Sheriff Baylor, his deputy, Boyle, Millie. Dr. Emmett Talby, Duel, and a handful of Gunsels there, days are numbered, Chris. I'm going to give you a six for that because you okay. went to the trouble of, of naming all of the, the assorted hoodlums. And, um, you know, I, Sheriff, um, what's the sheriff's name? Baylor. Yes, Sheriff, Sheriff Baylor. He's like the least crooked of the bunch. I mean, clearly he, uh, he likes a taste of the old shine. Seems to recognize that prohibition is hypocritical and will soon uh-huh. be coming to an end. Um, but he seems sincere, right? He does his his job, I'd say. So, yeah, certainly does not deserve the, the fate that he got. Um, yeah, I'm going to give you another six there. Uh, this uh, is the first time I think I've gotten by triple six uh, uh, hook 'em horns. Um, uh, this is the first time we've gotten I've gotten through with I think all uh, whatever you call that. Bom, bom, yeah, bom. yeah, that yeah, yeah. What is that called? It's not a klaxon. It's much more gentle than a klaxon. A chime. A chime. Call it a chime. I like it calling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, once again, our inquiry into this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series of prisoners related documents, it is not of a degree pragmatic. Nope. It's not of a degree expedient. Uh-uh. It's not of a degree seasonal. No, it ain't. You know what? I'm going to take one of those away and replace it with, uh, it is not of a degree non-alcoholic? No, it ain't. <laughs> what is it, Glenn? It's a degree absolute, Chris. 200 proof, baby. Absolute being a kind of alcohol. There you go, right there. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, you know, I feel like were he were he still still alive, this would not be part of Velmore Leonard's podcast diet. Just because I I was moved to go and pull up his 2001 New York Times Writers on Writing essay, the headline "Easy on the Adverbs!" Exclamation points and especially hoop to doodle. <laughs> and here in his, uh, Mr. Leonard's commandments of, of writing right behind number one, which is never open a book with weather. Number mm-hmm. two, Glenn, avoid prologues. Oh, hey, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> this does have a lot of um, Leonardian uh, hallmarks. And if you recall, Chris, uh, Justified, an Elmore Leonard property, mm-hmm. was one of the first things we bonded over in our mutual love. It's true. In fact, Glenn, last night I was uh, dutifully going through a a second visit through the Moonshine War, and I I got about 70 minutes in, got up to the the scene again where where Son goes to the general store, tries to buy ammo, and uh, the shopkeep won't give it to him on credit. Uh And I was like, you know, I think I, I got this. I had just watched the film the night before. I wasn't really... And then just in a, a moment of inspiration, I went and watched 
the justified episode, The Moonshine War, which is the first huh. episode of the second season where um, Mag, uh, Margot Martindale comes in as uh, Mags Bennett. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a really terrific episode. You know, was reminded that I was watching an 11 year old episode of television in the way that this particular episode uses, um, although it's setting up this great arc that's going to extend through the whole season. In that individual episode, it's kind of the ticking clock is whether this girl, a, a minor, the daughter of this pot grower, is going to be assaulted by a pedophile who has been released from prison. And I don't think there's anything exploitative in it, really. But I, I think, like, were that airing now, there would be more of a conversation around. Is is this an appropriate source of just just suspense in this TV show? And yeah. um, you know, the girl gets gets <clears throat> saved, and Raylan gets his man. Raylan, of course, corners him, and then gets to give an awesome speech. Apparently, trusting that uh, you know the guy isn't gonna just shoot him while he's talking. Uh, mm. This is why why I love Raylan Givens and and Justified and uh, how he embodies the silver tongue of Elmore Leonard. Yeah, Leonard, of course, known for his dialogue. I it didn't so much stand out here, except in uh, a, a few characters. Um, and also, you know, to be fair, a reliance and over reliance here on one kind of exploitative lynching thing, which we'll get to. But um, let's let's focus on the fact that our pal Paddy McGee gets top billing. Yeah, this is right on the heels of, of the prisoner, as we mentioned, it was his immediately next project. He is at this point is a bigger star than Alan Alda. Certainly, I don't know if you'd consider him a bigger star than Richard Widmark, who had a lot of Hollywood, like major Hollywood films under his belt. Yeah, the part is bigger on paper. Of course, Frank Frank has more lines of dialogue, but I think it's Widmark who makes the biggest impression in this film. Um, and as we said, the role of Frank Long is not a flattering one. It's not heroic. I don't think you could see an actor like John Wayne ever taking a part like this because he is so dishonest and craven. Um, But I'd argue that this role kind of fits what we know of Patrick McGowan's worldview better, his very Catholic outlook on humanity and its inherent uh, sinfulness. Um, And you could take it further that maybe he is taking his image and kind of self-flagellating it a little bit. He's He's, pivot, he's certainly pivoting away from the uh, heroic, uh, if unforgiving, everyman of, of the prisoner. Yeah, no, that that's certainly true. I mean, I was a little thrown by that that L.A. Times quote, and um, you know, who who knows what the story was there? I mean, media about media did not exist in the way that it does today, and mm-hmm. obviously there was there was coverage of film and TV production, but it wasn't like an entire subgenre of of media. The way it is now. So that could have been just a flippant remark that he, he gave to a reporter, got to pay the bills. But um, I didn't really see him digging into this part with the enthusiasm of, say, Daniel Craig and Logan Lucky or Daniel sure. Craig and Knives Out, where he is so clearly enjoying stepping out of the, the shadow of this larger than life role that he's become associated with. I don't I don't feel like we really got that with uh, with Patty. McGee here, even though he's hamming it up from you know from the the way he's slouching, uh, his he is his crooked. He's literally accent. Crooked. His uh, he gets to play drunk a lot, as I, I noted before. He he always seemed to like to do fake drunk on uh, Danger Man. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that here. We even see him appear to make an advance on. Well, no, be like we'll sort of there. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. A weird a weird lot. scene yeah okay good 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 um all right mm-hmm. one last uh, rule from Mr Leonard mm-hmm. number ten try to leave out the part that readers tend to skip 
<laughs> yeah. Arthur Howitzer Jr., the late publisher of the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, uh, put it this way. Glenn, try to make it sound like you wrote that way on purpose. Yep. Yep. Um, this is also, if you think about it, he is returning, Patrick McGowan is returning to uh, Scarecrow of Ronnie Yarsh territory because this is about taxes on whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> this is, we are, he's back where, he's, back where he belongs. And I, this might be a hot take. I want to hear what you think about it, but I didn't think his accent was all that terrible. What'd you think? I, see, I'm wary of, of leaping on this in, in the way that like the the accents in in Fargo, for example, really bother me, and that's not one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. Even though it's beloved, most people have that in like their top five, right? Mm-hmm. I just I can never not feel like all of the characters are are being mocked, mm-hmm. and I I don't know. I feel like there's there's a little more warmth towards the characters in this, even though they're like no one is is completely pure. Right. I mean, Son, Son Martin, the, the Alda character, is, is presented as being more admirable than anybody else, I, I think, um, or, or him and um, the woman he is uh, Lizanne. promised to. Yes, Lizanne, who works at the hotel. But I mean, I think the accents are, are pretty bad. I mean, I think McGee's varies quite a lot. I think Alda's is, I don't know. I mean, if we weren't so used to hearing him as Hawkeye on MASH, would we buy it more easily? Well, that's the thing. I don't know what they are, but they ain't no federal agents. This is my point. I was constantly distracted by how terrible Alan Alda's Labner accent was. Now, I think these boys going to try to get everything they can. If they don't have enough guns for the job, well, just go out and get some more. Because it's so tough for me to divorce myself from everything I know about Alda. Like, he's... Uh, he's not quite at this point, but in the 70s and 80s, he will be Hollywood's most high-profile male feminist progressive. Right. He's an Italian-born, New York City-born uh, kid named Alan Abruzio. That changed his name. Uh, I just to, to picture him as this hillbilly in overalls, that was a big disconnect for me. Hi! <laughs> Somebody's gonna see us. Oh, iron's working. Yeah, there's there's a scene uh, early on where we're introduced to him and uh, Lizanne, and they're they're having a little afternoon tryst on the on the rocks, out in the open, and after some you know mild protest that someone will see them. <laughs> and I'm getting a stone bruise on my eyes. Lizanne gets down to the real objection, which is that she's getting bruises on her eyes. Eyes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I forwarded you this kind of like fake behind the scenes featurette. Uh-huh. Like, oh, this 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 local gives a view of the the Hollywood people when they came down to Kentucky, came down to the holler to shoot their movie. And uh-huh. um, this thing is super condescending and kind of phony, even if you don't know that this film was actually shot in Stockton, California, <laughs> near San right. Francisco. Did not go anywhere east of the Mississippi ever. So what we're talking about, listeners, is you can look it up. It's called Moonshine War Behind the Scenes, The Making of, which is, you know, you don't just pick one of those two things. <laughs> you don't need behind the scenes, the making of, but pick one. And uh, it's like a six minute black and white fakey fake thing where a denizen of Kentucky County He's like, them Hollywood bigwigs came, and I sure do miss them. And it's just, it's egregiously condescending, as you point out. But because I'm an idiot and I forgot how Hollywood works, there's a comment below by someone named Pirate Chucker. Uh, And I started reading it uh, saying that, you know, I worked on the set of Moonshine War um, and uh, when they were filming in the town of Jenny Lynn. And I, I read it in my head with a southern accent, even though, as 
it says here, this was actually filmed in the town of Jenny Lind, which is in the middle of California. So what he says is, just out of high school, I worked on the set of Moonshine War, serving food and washing dishes in the kitchen. $50 a day was a fortune for me back then. I worked while they were filming in the town of Jenny Lind, pictured here in this video. I watched a car go into the river with Mr. Patrick McGowan in the back seat. Uh, my buddy Dennis was an extra playing one of Richard Widmark's gunmen, met all of the stars and crew. Widmark was kind of aloof, but Alan Alda was one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. Lee Hazelwood, who plays uh, Duel. Yes, uh, Duel but, Metters. I bet you I've got more Lee Hazelwood albums in my apartment than you have, Glenn. Right. Who had several hit records and albums <laughs> with Nancy Sinatra, and I got to be pretty good friends. Problem was, we both smoked Winston's. He'd always run out, then come looking for me. I still can't believe how many smokes a rich recording artist and movie star was bombing off me. Last day of shooting, he bought me a couple of cartons. Um, so, yeah, th- th- we'll get to the, to the stunt, because I think it's fascinating that this behind-the-scenes vignette actually tries to convince us that they did their own stunts, uh, Patrick McGowan and uh, the young lady playing Millie, and I, I, I don't buy that for a fucking second. Yeah, their big marquee stunt, we pushed a car down a hill into a creek. <laughs> you know? with, with people in it that we can't see, so why would you ever yeah. put the actual actors in? It doesn't make sense. I think that's actually exactly how Uma Thurman really was injured on, uh, on the yeah. set of uh, Kill Bill. So... Absolutely. Not to make light of it. No. But, okay, so to get back to this movie, there is, let's you and me talk about it, Chris, a theme song. Yeah. Look out now, son, Martin. Yep. It gives it all to you in 92 seconds. Kentucky, back in 32, a young man named son Martin was making mountain brew. If it wasn't for his whiskey, he wouldn't have a dime. Cost two months more to Roosevelt, and that'll be the end of moonshine. Look out now, son Martin, you better watch your... And it clues you into the tone, right? This is going to be a bit more knowing, a bit more playful than I think I was expecting from a 1970 film, given its its history. Uh, We also learned that the love theme from... Uh, the Moonshine War. Love Brings Love was composed by one Mr. Neil Hefty, who is behind. I have a question about the credits of this here that you 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 won't be able to answer probably, Glenn. But we hear we hear the ballad of the Moonshine War as I as I think the title of the song. Yep. At the very beginning, wouldn't yep. know though because the song credit information is not included in the titles. Right. Nor is Moonshine Mountain Wine. Yes, what? Moonshine no. parenthetical friend of mine by the Five Man Electrical Band. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, we yeah. hear two or three times during the movie. Two or three times, indeed we do. I no don't credit for recognize... that, but the love theme, which is yeah. the one that gets played at the very end after everyone gets blowed up real good. Is that it, or is it what they play when they are when they're like hooking up at the river? I, I don't know. I thought that. that was okay. The first time we we see uh, Sun and Lizanne in bed together, we we get the five man electrical mi- band. Yeah, that's yeah. true too. Yeah. But there are three songs here. One of them gets a credit composer performer all identified. The other two are mm. omitted. Why? Yep. Don't get it. I, don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. The the uh, ASCAP. That's my answer to everything music related. I just mm-hmm. don't understand mm-hmm. it. No idea. So, yeah, the accreted dust of history hasn't changed the fundamental letteredness of this. He loves really venal, stupid characters enacting a venal, stupid violence, and then they get their comeuppance. And that's kind of what we get here. Uh, when Mr. Long, 
Mr. Frank Long, Patty McGee, arrives at a hotel after looking for someone. He's carrying what we learn is a very heavy suitcase because the bellhop uh, remarks upon it. Bellhop asks him if he'd like something to drink because this is prohibition. Any liquor or soda pop? And then um, Mr. Long informs him levelly that he hunts moonshiners and bootleggers. Yeah. Was that bellboy supposed to be a veteran or something? Because he, he correctly identifies the Browning automatic rifle that uh, Frank Long has in his suitcase. He's like, well, that looks to me like a um, Browning. He's like, oh, it sure is, boy. And I, you know what I use it for? I use it for hunting bootleggers and lawbreakers. And There you go. Yeah. I mean, he seemed like a, like a kid who had never, never been out of Kentucky. But, you know, in Kentucky and guns, they, yeah, they like yeah, their guns. Yeah, true, so, true, true, true. Um, so we cut to Sun Martin still. It is night. And it's it's important that it's night because we get a throwaway line about how Sun has strong electricity to the steel, to the shitter, and to the barn. It's going to come back later. It's a very important thing. We meet Will Gear as Sheriff Baylor, who is, um, you know, certainly down with this whole moonshine thing. And we'll learn that he takes a very holistic view of the production of moonshine. Uh, Frank Long arrives from Louisville. As you mentioned, he's kind of crooked, literally crooked. He's stooped. There's a scene where they compare guns because Freud is a thing. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, okay, that's, that's very good. Let's stop for a second here since we spend so much time talking about McGowan's accent. It's a shame this is not his introduction to the movie because we've already seen him checking into the hotel and talking to mm-hmm. the, the bellboy. But um, I love that he says, you recognize my voice <laughs> in an, I'm going to say unrecognizable to us voice. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Hey, recognize my voice. And I think we were supposed to learn that um, Alan Alda's character, Son Martin, and he were old army buddies. They're old army buddies, but they don't seem to be close in age particularly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Patty McGee is playing a little older than his, his age at this time. I guess it would be 40 or, or 41. Alan Alda is certainly younger than that. And, yeah. um, you know, I think the age difference between them it reads as being more than it is. So it seems weird that they would have been army buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheriff Baylor is, uh, I think he's the one who's, who is trying to negotiate and say, look, uh, why, are we, why are you here? Because some titless old women think men shouldn't drink. Um, we'll, we'll get several tit mentions in this movie. Uh, we'll also get, this is the first we have of Sheriff Baylor saying, now go on, get. We get a couple of those in this yep. movie. Does uh, Dr. Tauby, I think he does call um, Mitzi, is her, no, Millie, 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 right? I believe he refers to sugar tits. He calls her, in point of fact, Chris, sugar tit. Uh, not once, Singular. not twice, okay. but three times. All right, so yeah. that's where Mel Gibson got it from. I, it's <laughs> when he the was ghost being arrested of for Mel Gibson uh... <laughs> will not leave this podcast. It hangs over this podcast like yeah. a looming specter. Um, <laughs> that's where he learned to address women law enforcement officers. <laughs> I think by just referring to a woman as sugar tit, you could almost argue that it's like a bird, right? Maybe there's a bird called a sugar tit. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a reach, but uh, that's a reach, as yeah. it were, so to speak. Uh, so the next morning, Baylor is trying to convince Long. They're t- eating together at the diner or hotel, maybe. I think it's a diner. Look, you got to understand the situation. And he's trying to make him think about the systematic, the systemic inequalities and conditions. Um, you know, he's, he's really trying to pull back. But Long is a cop, and cops don't think that way. So Long has heard tell of a big whiskey hall, 150 barrels, nope. that he is searching for. Not supposing they did put away a little whiskey. 
no future in the mines, and the farm, they can't grow a crop no more in rocks and weeds. But maybe there is a way if they got the guts and the muscle and the willpower to do it. If they don't mind breaking the law. What about a man's right? Man's got a right to eat his corn, and he's got a right to drink it, or wash his rear end with it if he wants to. My pretty little lady, my son. Are you listening to anything I've been telling to you? Excuse me, mister. i got to go and do me some work. This is season three, I think it was, of, of The Wire, where they uh, established basically the sort of drug drugs permitted zone. Mm-hmm. It had a cool Amsterdam. name. Amsterdam. Hamsterdam. Hamsterdam. That's right. You know, we should say it's it's sort of given as exposition that it's um, the election is coming up. It's expected that if FDR is elected president, prohibition will be repealed. And basically everyone expects that to happen. So it's expected that within a couple of months, booze will become legal again. Mm-hmm. So we get the scene with Alan Alden Lazan out by the river, the stone bruise on her ayas. <laughs> and then for the first time, as they're making love, we hear a song called, as you mentioned, Moonshine Tennessee Wine. <laughs> which should have an old-timey honky-tonk quality, but because of the electric guitar, it instead has a kind of hippie vibe. Am I right? It roots the the film very firmly in 1969. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. It kind of... And it's... Yeah, we, it's we, we don't have a T-Bone Burnett-produced, no, like, Oh Brother <laughs> soundtrack for this movie, which I think we, we would deserve. We definitely would have it today, yeah. Other than that narrative incredibly concise plot summary <laughs> opening song that I love mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I and I don't hate any of these songs but yeah it, it's a it's a real anachronism the the moonshine friend of mine so. mm-hmm. finds uh, Son Martin's still. Uh, then Aaron, who is Son's black partner, assistant, employee, whatever, I'm not sure of this relationship. He shows up with a shotgun, gets a drop on him, and this is, we get the first time Frank throws out the N-word. Um, yeah. We should keep account because it recurs several times. I think it's two. Uh, nope, uh, more than that. Is it more, more than, than that? that? Okay. I uh, kept a running tally. This is a scene right out of Justified, though, right? It's two, two mm-hmm. guys uh, with guns pointed at each other trying to outquip one another, basically, except Frank Long sucks at quips. Yeah, he's not good. Hey, boy, you're pointing that thing at me. No, it's just pointing where you happen to be a standing. Oh, I like that. Damn, I sure like to, but my finger kind of catched up in this trigger, and I'm scared to move. You want to get shot? No, because this old shotgun about to go off and blow them mesh bells all to hell. And anything close to them. Later that night, some hill folk who are friends of Martin's, I think, Son Martin's, uh, totally shook night Frank Long. They dangle him out of the hotel room. <laughs> Everybody in this movie wears what I thought was Mormon underwear, but it just turns out to be kind of old-timey underwear. Uh, kind of terrible, piece, terrible. One piece like, thing. flatters no one. Flatters no one, and also probably it just seems sweaty. Uh, they tell him uh, these... Uh, hill folk to uh, go on get and that's that's go on get number two uh-huh. um, and then this is the scene where he goes down to the hotel lobby or hotel lobby and he calls a mister uh, calls a doctor a former dentist Dr. Emmett Talby yep and the next morning uh, Richard Widmark shows up as Emmett Talby he has a young woman and a youngish man in his wake uh, whose names are 
Well, uh, Dual Metters is his trigger man. Right. And Miley, I think is Miley. Uh, yeah, and it's it's Millie? not Millie. Millie Miley. I'm I'm gonna look it up because I I okay. think that that's an alliterative name. Millie Mitchell. Okay. It's a, a Superman girlfriend. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So the next morning, at a diner, the uh, four star diner, uh, <laughs> Richard Widmark rolls up as as Emmett Talby with a young woman, Millie. And a youngish man duel. Uh, and if you are sitting in a theater in 1970, and Richard Widmark shows up, yes, toward the end of his career, he, he played more heroic kind of roles. He was known. He made his bones on squirrely psychopaths. Hmm. So you knew what was up. So uh, they sit down. They order uh, salmon croquettes. Salmon croquettes. Coca-Cola. In a land- uh, <laughs> yep. It's just it's. Uh, it's dodgy what they order. Right. And then uh, Dr. Talby orders something for Duel that's not on the menu. And Duel's like, well, I don't see it here, but that's what I have. It's something in a double portion of fries. Yeah. Uh, huh? I All I could think of either. was uh, Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Uh, four mm-hmm. fried chickens and a Coke and uh, white bread toast. You want anything on that? No, ma'am. Dry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind standing up and uh, let me take a look at that soup? Please. Duel goes over, uh, admires a young man's uh, who is there with his girlfriend, wife. Oh, admires his suit. His this pretty tan suit. What the hell? Yeah. Ain't that a pretty suit you've ever seen in your life? That's yeah, a pretty suit. Yeah, a that is a pretty suit. Hmm. Uh, I tell you what, I'll buy it off of you. This the unremarkable beige suit uh, of of the sort that Fox News uh, threw a fit when President Obama wore <laughs> one time. It's not a flashy suit. It's not a flamboyant suit. It is a functional suit that does not stand out at the four-star diner, other than just to sort of establish duels bona fides as a as a psychopath. I don't understand right. this scene. It's establishing how evil. This is classic Elmore Leonard. Uh-huh. Um, and who's the young wife? Who's uh? Forced undress along with her husband as after his suit is stolen. I'm sure you know, but I do not. Terry Gar, Glenn. That's not Terry. It's Gar. Terry Gar. It's Terry Gar with a Y. It's not Terry Gar with T E R I. It's T E R I. It's not. I recognized her in the movie, and I'm looking at the credits right now, Glenn. It's Terry okay. Gar. I don't believe you. All right. <laughs> I uh, really? Yeah. Did not recognize her. Okay. Yes, she's the one wearing the brown dress that uh, Dr. Talby tells um, Duel to go ahead and steal the woman's clothes, too, just because. Little boy, might as well see the whole show. And Millie is saying, I don't like brown. I don't even. <laughs> the... See, I checked IMDb and it said T-E-R-R-Y. I was like, okay, so I thought well, so, but maybe not. if you've learned nothing from know, our, our mentor, Matt Gorley, it's that uh, IMDb yep. cannot be trusted, this Glenn. Is true. I don't know why this made me laugh, since we will come to realize that Millie is a is a victim in many ways. But I did laugh when when Talby says something like, "I like a pink teddy on a on a shapely young woman," referring to the wife of the the man whose suit is being robbed in progress. Okay. And Millie, without looking up from her salmon croquettes, says, "She ain't much." <laughs> <laughs> you got the suit. Hush, hush, hush. Now come on, lady. It ain't gonna hurt you. Come on. No. Come on. Get out of them clothes. 
so yeah, this is uncomfortable. It's meant to be, and then Long shows up after they are the, the young couple is running to the to their car. He is upset about the nudity, but they distract him. Frank brings Talby and everybody else to Son's cabin, and claims that Talby is a whiskey scientist. Which I mean, that's a that's a title I want. Yep. <laughs> A government whiskey scientist, Glenn. Government, government whiskey, whiskey scientist. scientist. <laughs> uh, Millie's assistant, Duel, is a special investigator, and they are there, he says, to see if the whiskey is good enough for the government. They go into uh, Son's house slash cabin. Frank and Talby offer to buy the whiskey for the government, provided Talby can try it. Son refuses. Uh, and this is the first of several instances where Frank gets huffy. Like, how dare you? We're the, we're the government. And this is, you know, this is a nice... This is a mode you don't see Patrick going in often. We've seen him get outraged a whole bunch, uh, but we have not really seen him do this ineffectual, impotent rage. No, no, this kind of feckless indignance we don't see in him a lot. Even when he's being overmatched by people in the village, he's, uh, uh, this is new. This is new. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All you got to do is give us a sample. Well, you buy it and you can sample all you want. Oh, yeah, the government ain't that dumb. I mean, they ain't going to buy it unless, uh, unless Dr. Talby says it tastes good. And they ain't going to buy it. I hope you think you're fooling, son. You're, you're dealing with the United States federal government. There were a couple of dudes trying to put something over on a poor, dumb hillbilly. Again, I, I'm, I'm trying to picture Alda as a hillbilly. It's easier to picture him with a still if you've ever watched MASH because that was the whole thing yeah. they had in the swamp. But uh, it's, it's it, I just... I have a hard time. So Toby wants to buy the whiskey uh, because he is betting, as you mentioned, that uh, prohibition will be repealed if Roosevelt gets elected. Uh, Son refuses. There is a standoff uh, with the guns and everything. Frank gets huffy again. And then Widmark makes what I think is a good choice here because if you noticed, as he gets more serious, that foghorn or leghorn accent starts to fade. And the folksy persona is replaced by something a lot more cold and a lot more sinister. It's a little moment, but I really liked it. Uh, Talbert and company go to check into the hotel. And this is where we learn that Talbert's a creeper, although we probably could have seen it because he hits on Son's girlfriend, Lizanne, who is the hotel front desk clerk. There's the N-word in this scene. There's mm-hmm. the sugar tit again. Um, and again, this, this is... This is where I, I learned that in uh, 1970, in a PG-rated movie, you could say... A little old Miley can dish up the poontang. <laughs> What's Poontang, Mommy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is before PG-13, right? This I, is all I guess. before. This is before PG. This is before everything. Uh, Duel kidnaps Aaron, uh, uh, son's. Well, hang, hang shot, on a second. Now, let's 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 not pass over this little moment of I don't know if it's a incredulity or disapproval or or what, but where Frank Long, Patty McGee, kind of. Expresses some some confusion over the fact that Dr. Talby is uh, inquiring about Lizanne, the um, yeah. the the clerk at the the hotel, and some son Martin's paramour, who I think Frank kind of took took notice of at the beginning. Like he asked the bellhop, like, "What's her deal? Is she married? Mm-hmm. Does she have a you know?" So clearly, she's caught his eye too. But yeah, so then when when Talby asks about her, he's like, "What are you gonna do with two women?" Uh, she is all righty. What would you do with two women? Same thing I do with one. Ain't she enough for you? Well, if you mean by enough, all I want, sure. Little old Miley can dish up the poontang. But she is one woman. And that one there's another. Lowell, I'm waiting. And mister, they are all different. Each one has her own little pleasures and 
secret tender places. The concept of polygamy, it's just, it's blowing Frank Long's mind. And the movie yep. spends some time on this, which is why I mention it. <laughs> no, I get that. It just didn't register with me. So, yeah, okay. So, again, Duel kidnaps Aaron, and there's some really disturbing lynching business here, and this doesn't feel earned. It's kind of using our collective disgust and revulsion yeah, yeah, about lynching yeah. in a very cynical, calculated way, all in service of they're bad. Look, we know they're bad. We know they're evil people. This torturing to try to get them to say where the whiskey's at, uh, you know, and, and and the use of the N-word, this is drives up the count, the N-word count to four, this scene. Um, and then Sun Oh, sorry, along. no, I, I meant, yeah, I meant Patty McGee says it twice, which is the same yeah. number of times he says it in Silver Streak. That's true. Ugh. Uh, Sun turns on the lights in the barn, the better to see them all. He shoots Duel. And I was stupid, because I know how drama works, but I thought Duel was dead, and I was happy about it. I got a little surge of, like, yes. But, of course, it's way too early for even a henchman to be taken out, and Duel has just been grazed. And Sun, after the confrontation... uh, The next day, Sun is trying to rally support among the other hill folk, but as they tell him... They have enough to do just a feeding their families, and the tail folk try to get him to negotiate because they don't want to put themselves at risk. So we're getting echoes of High Noon here, Definitely. which I think is yeah, very yeah. intentional. Um, Frank, Talby, and all visit Boyd. Boyd is an old cellmate of Duel, and we see, and you know, McGee is, is is good at this. He's show, he's registering that his misgivings are increasing. And the next day, or a little bit later in that day, who shows up but a bunch of gunsels, goons, yeggs, <laughs> gun-toting loons <laughs> to help fight uh, Sun and get the whiskey. Uh, at this point, uh, Talby, who is watching Frank as closely as we are, says to do a watch out for Frank. I had trouble with that boy. How come? He's starting to eat his own inside. He is? He's starting to make rules. What do we need rules for? starting to eat his own insides he's starting to make rules i like that that was a yeah. nice touch this is something that i i associate i guess with with recent kind of ish kind of big superhero movies and i can't always i i mean i feel like it must be a leonard thing too but this this notion of one oily bad guy calling upon the resources of a much worse bad guy who he cannot now control. I mean, this is the mobsters of Gotham City hiring the Joker to kill Batman, and then he's Mm -hmm. blowing up hospitals and setting their money on fire. This is uh, Loki in the first Avengers movie who's calling down the armies of Thanos or whatever and causing um, way more mayhem than he he can possibly uh, take advantage of. I like the morality tale aspect of this. Yeah. Like, oily guy seeking advantage is going to cause more harm to everyone, including himself, as a, as a result of, of dealing with the Dr. Talbys of the world. No, exactly. This is this recurs in a lot of Leonard stuff, where a weak, a weak man puts themselves in service of evil people, and then the evil people take out the weak man. So, Lizanne, it turns out, has hunted down some information about Talby... <laughs> <laughs> Which, if this was the modern day, she would be the hacker role. She'd be the one going, yeah. hacked into the mainframe. I did not and... understand this scene. I saw her looking at a file folder. It seemed to be in the hotel. Yeah, I, 
was Frank carrying Talby's rap sheet in his Imagine suitcase along with her having to search through like newspaper archives? Like, I mean, that's the only thing that she didn't, she could do it with keywords. She couldn't do a find no. and replace. She could do a search. She had to read every paper just to find this person's right. name. This is or how she, she finds out that Dr. Talby is a serial rapist and mm -hmm. uh, cut to her telling uh, sweet, sensitive Alan Alda, Son Martin about this, and he thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, I know, right? That's a that's a thing. Why he's pulling their teeth? <laughs> Three different women accused him. Oh God! He gave them gas to put them out, and then assaulted them right there in the dentist chair. God Almighty, a girl could come in with a toothache, walk out knocked up. <laughs> Uh, we also find out that Duel has done some time for attempted murder, but we kind of knew that because we, we've met Boyd. Frank and his goons go and shoot up a still, and they tell the moonshiners to tell Son Martin to give up his whiskey. Then they do this again. This time they escalate by beating up some folk, but it's the same method, shooting up stills. Uh, back at this hotel, we get an they, odd this is This is where they kill that guy's dog. Right. Yes. He said, indeed. if you were give it up, we, we wouldn't have to bother you, dog. And you hear a gunshot. You don't see it. But no. um, it was enough for me, Glenn. If I didn't hate this guy already. But I mean, we're gilding the lily here. Like we've already done. We've already, you know, victimized a lot of folks. We've, yeah. you know, we've uh, tortured someone with lynch. Like we don't need. We we yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, at this point, it's uh, we're just we're putting mustard on mustard. But back at the hotel, Toby and and. Millie are in bed, and we, I think all this scene is existing to do is to show that while Frank's out there doing the real work, Toby's back being a creep. Um, you know, more sugar tit. We, the sugar tit count increases by one. Yeah. She says, I hate being alone at night. And he says, well, you're not alone now. And she says, I sure ain't. <laughs> yep. What is this relationship? Yeah. Next morning at the general store. Duel intercepts a truckload of clover seed. He's convinced it's corn mash or whatever the hell, but it turns out to actually be <laughs> clover seed. Then Toby and Duel decide to go to hit Farmer Blackwell's farm. Now, this is against Frank's plan, who is said to no. wait to hit Farmer Blackwell and anybody Duel else. Duel Metters is, is freelancing here. Totally is. Uh, we get some moonshine Tennessee wine running around my hayd. <laughs> moonshine friend of mine. Help me to find my bed. We get this again as they travel across the countryside. Um, they go after the Blackwells, but the Blackwells fight back, and they wing Boyd. Then we cut to the sheriff's office, and we see John Shuck. Does that name mean anything to you, Chris? It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. John Shuck is playing the deputy. He is a character actor who I imprinted on as a very young man in 1976 when he starred in a ABC sitcom called Holmes and Yo-Yo. It was a detective sitcom about okay. a cop and his new android partner, Yoyanovich, wow. called Yo-Yo, played by John Shuck. You've got four partners in the hospital. Come on, Alex, you're a good cop. By the way, who's my new partner? We call him Yo-Yo. He weighs 427 pounds. He's a completely mobile computer, specially programmed for police work. Is he indestructible? We think so. Send in home. And the way they established that he was an android is that if he got excited or if he adjusted his tie, his a flap at his chest would open, and you'd see that he was electronic, which in practicality meant that someone had taped a Texas Instruments calculator to <laughs> chest. This was how it... Is this show set in the present day of the 70s? 
Uh, it was pre set in the present day of the 70s. Okay. Good, good, good. Alex, no, don't! You're not a person. You're not going to tell them? In my book, you got the makings of a good cop. That's what I put in my report. Uh, ever since, whenever I see John Chuck, I think, yo-yo, every time I've seen him. So before, <laughs> even though this predated when I saw him, I was like, yo-yo. I think we've already met him by this point, but one of the, the I don't know, the locals who has a few lines, who, who mm -hmm. is uh, mouthing off to Sun Martin at uh, a few points, Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt, really? Tom that's where Skerritt. I got recognized yes. from? Yes, that's okay. the, uh, yeah, with the, he's got the ball cap pulled low yeah. over his head. But I think he's the one who says to, you know, when Sun, when Sun is basically asking the neighbors for help to like band together and, and help him repel Dr. Talby and his, um, what in Justified they would call gun thugs. Mm-hmm, gun thugs, okay. And they're saying, well, they're not bothering us. They're kind of just bothering you. And if you just give up the moonshine, they'll leave you alone. So how is this our problem? Uh -huh. One of those people is um, is Tom Skerritt. All right. Good to know. Mm. Uh, Long visits the sheriff's office. He confronts him. And this is how Long learns about the attack on Blackwell and that Boyd got shot. So Long um, reaches out to Toby and says, don't worry about this. I'll take care of it. And this is the all-important scene where we get the backstory we uh, not haven't been denied, but we have pretty much figured out already, which is, of course, they're not feds. They're just crooks. Right. Um, I didn't think... I I could argue you didn't need that because they were so evil, but I don't know. I think I think it's a good way to insert it here at the midpoint and not you know have them kind of like doing that Simpsons dog shifty-eyed thing at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I like... I like that it comes in here. Yeah, it's interesting that that long protest that they don't look the part. Yeah. They don't look like feds, but um, you know what? Frank Long is is not exactly Sergeant Joe Friday either. I mean, he's kind of slovenly. His yeah. suit is dirty. Uh, his his, his tie is is loose. Hat. His hat's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. so none of these guys are are presenting that uh, clean cut G man image. Absolutely. So the sheriff tries to take Boyd to the doctors because he has been winged, wung. Uh, uh, and the moonshiners are pressuring Sun to give up the whiskey. They don't like this heat. Uh, Talby, uh, taken off of just being his own playbook guy, runs the sheriff off the road um, and proceeds to murder the sheriff, the deputy, and Boyd, and then toss the car off the road. Yeah, he shot the sheriff and he shot the deputy, Glenn. Yep, and I'm telling you for one last time, and you're right about that, bubba. Uh, son goes to the general store. If in this badge still says if sheriff, then, you know, I want like the AP style guide. I want drunk and white. I want everyone to just embrace this syntax because yes. I, I so the whole syntax, like if yeah. in this badge could help me to start a feeding my family. Uh, son goes to the general store to buy ammo. This is the scene you mentioned before. His credit's been cut off because they got to him. They got to him. Yeah. Uh, son goes to the hotel where they're spied on by Millie. Son is trying to get money from Lizanne. She tries to convince him to sell the whiskey. See, everybody's turning against him. So high noon. So uh, they can leave. And she refuses to give him the money because she ain't going to pay to see you killed. Then we get a little touch of Oh Brother Rart there where Son goes to the river and observes a baptism. <laughs> And who follows him there, yes. but not Lizanne, but Millie. And they talk. She's a dangling. Well, hang on. Now, Millie, Millie does not so much follow him there as step in front of his car, eating an ice cream cone in an incredibly sexually suggestive way. Oh. Well, okay. holding eye contact with him, Glenn, until he opens the passenger side door of his vehicle and invites her in. 
Oh, I, I skipped that. I that's no, that's okay. that's how this happens. And uh, I know this, Glenn, because if you look closely <laughs> at the illustration on the cover of the DVD, along with the feet in the foreground and oh, the yeah. shotgun and the the hat and the, you, there's there's also a little illustration of Millie with her ice cream cone in in her mouth. So, okay, that's how they yeah. get you. That's yeah. how they bring you. That's how you get asses in seats. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, he seems resigned in this scene that he's not with Lizanne anymore. Like, boom, that's it. <laughs> We're done. Uh, and she asks him, why don't you run? Uh, so back at Sun's cabin. Hang on. Aaron... No, no, no. There's more. Th- yeah. But she uh-huh. uh, she makes a pass at him, Glenn. Yeah, okay. She says, I guess I wanted to see what you were like. She follows that up with an inquiry and an unsolicited observation about his relationship status. You go with that woman from the hotel? Well, I guess I did. She ain't your type. There's a long pregnant pause and she goes, Just really ain't in the mood, are you? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Like he asks her what he'll do if Dr. Talby is killed. And she says, work in the, the house again, or go back to working in the house, which I took as confirmation that she was a prostitute before. You know, and she says, even when there were no customers, I enjoyed talking with the other women and we would do each other's hair and go to lunch. And so we get that she she felt a, a sense of family in, you know, what I inferred was this brothel that she she worked at mm-hmm. before. But he asks her, Martin son asks her, why, why are you with him? And she says, I haven't had any better offers. And then she kind of looks at son like, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. so there's there's a moment where she's she is. Uh, opens the door, makes an invitation, and it doesn't seem manipulative. It doesn't seem like she's being a femme fatale here or this is some plot. It seems like she is genuinely inviting the son into a alliance, relationship, or at least a quickie <laughs> there mm-hmm. on the hillside, and son doesn't go for it. Wow, I completely missed that. Okay. It just rolled over me. Because no, major guess, scene, Glenn. Heterosexuality just going to... We will know, work on your unconscious heterophobia. We're going to work on it. It spins past me. Uh, so back in at Sun's cabin, he and Aaron determined that the some very old dynamite is still very good. Um, this will come back later. I saw what they were doing planting the seed, and I couldn't figure out if there was a more deft or subtle way to do it. I think I think I think this is about as efficient a way as they could have done it. Um, yeah, dynamite is not the Jedi's weapon, Glenn. That's true. In town, the bodies of Boyd the Sheriff and Deputy Shuck have been found. They are paraded through the streets. This is eerier than it had any right to be. This kind of stuck up on me, this scene. Yeah. Even though it's kind of played for laughs, like you see that that uh, Long gets really freaked out at this point. This is this yeah, is yeah, when yeah. you know Long goes panicking to Talby's like, what the fuck? What are we doing here? We're finished. Our, our plot is all foiled. You queered the deal. You queered the deal. And this is what I'm saying. This is what we haven't seen. I haven't seen from Magoon before. This craven cowardice, the self-interest. He wants to cut and run. Uh, he's the Dewey Crow. He's the Dickie Bennett. Yep. He is the bad guy being used by more evil people. Uh, they send him on his way. And back at the hotel, we see him sauced on moonshine. I love me some drunk Patty McGee, even if it's <laughs> fake drunk Patty McGee. Anytime I see it, I'm in for it. Lizanne comes to his room. She finds him despondent, ready to return to the army in Louisville. And she wants him to help son. She'll pay eight hundred dollars in nineteen twenty, whatever the hell this is. Yeah, that's a lot of money. That was That's more money than Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster would be paid for the rights to Superman 
what eight or nine years after this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this is context this is to, to put this in terms that we all understand uh, to bring this <laughs> to bring the context this is what you are purveyor of context so he she's he's incredulous that she would offer him eight hundred dollars to risk his neck for her boyfriend so she says okay well what else will you take and then he reaches for her hand and then she sits down on the bed, at which point you and I, Chris, students of the ways <laughs> of the <door. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we Magooologists. Yeah. We are sitting there like, what? And then he says, I guess you got some secret treasures down there, which is a callback to some filthy thing that uh, Toby said to him earlier about her. Yes, referring to like down there, meaning like down her her blouse. No, and we this got is... it, Chris. Thank you. Sure, Glenn. But I mean, this is the moment that I'm like, wow, Agent Frank Long is the forty year old virgin. This man has <laughs> never <laughs> well experienced I mean, intimacy with a with a woman. That like, there's a scene in the forty year old virgin when. Um, Steve Carell is, is sitting around with, with the bros and they're talking about trying sand. to, yes, sand. It's exactly the scene I was thinking of. Uh, that's totally how the scene read to me. Sand, also, uh, apropos of nothing, the title of one of the great duets between Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood, mm. who plays Duel. Anyway. She got some secret treasures buried down there. I could jump on your bones right now. Still go home in the morning without helping anybody. Only trouble is, I ain't in the mood for romance right now. I could jump on your bones, right? Mm -hmm. That's his phrase. That's what I do. That's that's how it works. Bone jumping, right? Definitely done it before. I I, I have a and clearly established track record. So many bones <laughs> jumped. I have the frequent bone jumper card in my wallet. <laughs> that's that's how we do the sex. I just don't don't want to do it right now. But I mean, like this is the thing. Like I am sitting there going, does his uh, avowed not wanting to you know like he he didn't want he 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 maintained that he didn't want to have the sexy times or the kissy times. Because it was television and kids could be watching. So now that kids are not going to be watching, I was like, is this, my my eyes were wide, my jaw was on the floor. And then he said, I ain't in the mood for romance. Followed immediately, Chris, immediately by a, look at me, look at me. Screaming. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're, here we are, we're home. God is in his heaven and all is right with the world. They're just a month. Here, look at me, look at me. Like it's, yeah. uh, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. She leaves, and he goes back to perusing his copy of Muscle and Fitness. Uh, <laughs> I think I think there's a stronger case to be made for Ace. He, he says yeah. the only people who can help Son are his friends, only he don't have one. And he doesn't say only he don't got one. He says because he's cultured. He don't have one. Am I right? So, Toby and et al., all his... Uh, gun thugs surround Sun's farm, bust out the word, the N word for a fifth time. Mm. If you are keeping track, there is a cow reaction shot that I enjoyed. Uh, and then some of the goons, <laughs> so, I'm sorry, some of the gun thugs light torches and then they walk into wires or something. What were they walking into? I couldn't quite see it. They walk into wires and then they fall down and then they burn to death. Wow. <laughs> it seems. We love the Home Alone Skyfall ending. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, 
But I mean, like this, apparently nobody taught them stop, drop, and roll. It was a, it was a time before stop, drop, and roll. Uh, what's weird is there is a moment like this in that uh, Justified episode that I mentioned earlier, the Moonshine War, mm-hmm. where that like would be pedophile rapist is is pursuing this girl, and runs into one of the booby traps that uh, the family has set up to prevent people from stealing their weed crop. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, and I mean, she like she knows where the traps are, obviously. So she kind of runs in a direction that would allow her to use these traps as her defense. Probably not an intentional uh, shout out to. But on the other hand, this episode is called The Moonshine War. So it's true. You know. No, I think it's entirely tangential. So uh, there's a shootout. There's a standoff. Somebody says, I almost shot my head off. And hate is the equivalent to AS in, in, this, in this particular part of Kentucky. Here in Harlan County, Northern California, yes. <laughs> uh, the next morning, Frank learns that he wakes from his drunken stupor to find that everybody in town has gone out to help Son, or at least theoretically to help yeah, Son, yeah. Uh, including Ford and the bellhop. And then they go see a bear, and then w- once they get out there, they find that the townsfolk have made a day of it. There's a picnic, there's music. Oh, my God. Yeah, for some reason, I don't know. I, I This really kind of elevated the whole thing for me. Like, I, okay. I felt like like this this uh, film was not quite purely cynical and um, wry in that, that Lenardian way just yet. And then when you realize that they're just going out there to, to see the show, you know, are you not entertained? They, yeah, I was like, okay, now, now I'm fully on board with this. Uh, Frank and the bellhop show up. Frank tries to deputize the hell folk, but they see through him. They, they see him for exactly what he is, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, that he just wants son's whiskey. And then this is the scene, which you referenced before, where they shove him into, into the car, push, throw him into the back seat with Millie, and push him down the hill, which goes into the creek. Um, <laughs> and then that, that little behind-the-scenes thing tried to say, oh, yeah, and the actress playing Millie, she, she kind of hurt her shin it's like it's not it never happened it was stunt people or dummies uh we both saw this on standard dvd glenn so uh yeah. it does 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 not have the stunt double spotting yeah. you know qualities that blu-ray or, or 4k disc mm-hmm. gives you so often now i don't know i would not be surprised actually if they put maybe not mcg but certainly but why though you can't see her? Millie Mitchell, Suzanne Zenor, I I don't know. Just just for expediency, just because they don't give a fuck. Uh, okay. It would not surprise me at all if they really put her in this car and it's like, oh yeah, okay, good, walk it off. Okay. <laughs> Go over to craft services. So once Frank and Millie get out of the car, uh, Toby and Duel start shooting at them from the house, and then they run. So they run to Son's house because I guess they're in the barn, right? Is that yeah, where I'm thinking? Yeah. They're in the barn, so they run to Son's house. Uh, Frank, and this is what I like. Right, so we're there's a different version of the script where uh, Frank sees the light, and he has become a different person, and he sees how cruel they are, and he tries to help Son. But in fact, he is still trying to wheedle the location of the stash of yeah. Son. I like that while outwardly it seems like he might have made the right decision, he's still a snake, uh, and he always will be. The goons, the gunsels, the gun thugs, and Toby start to kidnap folks from the picnic. Which serves them fucking right. Yeah. And uh, threatens to shoot them if Son doesn't give himself up. Frank, snakely, uh, re- realizes that they could use Millie as a hostage. He's craven to the last. Listen, you gotta trust me. It's gonna be okay. So she goes out of the house and says, shouts to Tubby at all, that they're gonna kill her 
if they don't let the hostages go. They got guns aimed at me. Said if y'all don't let those people go and clear out of here, they're gonna shoot me. Oh, come on, they're just burning you. No, doctor, they mean it. Come on over here. Honest, doctor, they mean it. Sugar tip, move over here, come on. Here is, you know, this is what we say about good writing, where it's uh, surprising but inevitable. Um, when Duel shoots her, I was didn't see it coming, yeah, but I probably should have, right? It's really brutal. I mean, that yeah. turns this from sort of a comedic lark with a lot of upsetting elements into, um, I don't know. I, I didn't think that was it. Like, I thought... Her plan to, uh, not her plan, but I mean, her willingness to basically play along, you know, be a pretend hostage would pay off. Thought it would work. Didn't think she was just going to get. There's a very compelling argument to me that it's too much because you've already established everything we need to establish with those people. But if you want that cathartic feeling of like these people deserve what's coming to them, it it's in service to that. It's just a little, it doesn't escalate it, right? It just kind of reiterates it. And then Duel says, well, shucks, we've come this far, Doc. And Doc has a moment where he could show a sliver of humanity. Instead, he says, she was a cute little thing. Awful dumb, though. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I yeah. guess you're just a Republic serial villain, and that's all <sighs> for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The countdown continues. Son comes up with the idea as I could tell them there's a mine shaft down underneath my daddy's grave. And that tells them that's where it is. It his. Uh, he goes out, and that's what he tells. He said he tells Tubby, okay, that's where the whiskey is, in my daddy's grave in that graveyard. Over there in the cemetery. You open the grave, says John W. Martin. He's a shaft, leads down to a mine tunnel. You telling me a story? Well, why don't you go look and see? That's a damn good idea. All right, boys, get shovels and come on and start digging. John W. He tells them uh, there's a mine tunnel underneath it, and then they go over. Whiskey's down there. You want a light? I got a light down there in the mine shaft. Well, turn it on. Switch is in the half. Hey, Frank, flip on that light switch right next to you, will you? And they get blowed up real good. Yes, and, and Frank doesn't know, right? Frank thinks he's just going to shoot them. Yep. Frank doesn't realize that the light switch is actually the detonator. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, it's son really smart, because if there's ever a criminal case brought, it was Frank who did it. <laughs> Frank, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing I am unclear on, which the Wikipedia entry is not, <laughs> is, is that he's blown up the whiskey. I don't know if he's blown up the whiskey. Do you think he's blown up the whiskey? No, I don't think so. Because okay. to, because he invites the... I mean, now, granted, he could have a little bit above ground for the samples that he refuses to to grant, which mm-hmm. is which I think is bad salesmanship. Mm-hmm. Imagine going into Baskin-Robbins and asking if you can have a little wooden spoon of the <laughs> mocha chip and being told no. But 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 after this... Mocha thing, chip? He, mocha chip is your, is your I, ice cream I like cream mocha of chip, yeah. Is that, your, is that your ice cream of choice, though? Mocha chip? I wouldn't need a sample of that. I would just order it. I don't know. Yeah, what do you okay. like? I don't know. It's peanut butter, anything. Peanut butter, chocolate, okay. peanut butter, anything. Like okay. peanut butter, like any, yeah. Any. No, I like uh, I like Tindrup coffee, Sunday, coffee mm-hmm. ice cream derivatives. I was I was drinking a uh, Guinness uh, cold brew, kind of weird, mm-hmm. confusing. Is it coffee? Is it beer? Is it both? Mm-hmm. Is it a floor wax? Mm-hmm. Is it a dessert topping? Is mm-hmm. it going to keep me up? 
tonight? I don't know. We'll see. No, I don't think he blew up the whiskey because he okay. offers his shitty neighbors who are just going to come, you know, watch him get blown away as their their afternoon entertainment. Um, he offers them some shine after the explosion. I got a half a barrel and some fruit jars if anybody feels the need. Isn't that how the but, movie ends by him offering everybody a, a tipple? But um, in terms of narrative structure... If you want to get Frank off your back, you blow up the whiskey, right? Because Frank's still around at the end of this. Although you could lie and say that's where the you could you could lie to Frank. Maybe that's what he's doing. He's yeah. lying to Frank as well and saying that's where the whiskey was. Um, this movie does not have an epilogue. This movie does not have like a uh, later that day, t- six months later. This movie <laughs> just ends there. But like people yeah. want to drink, let's drink, and then that's too soon. I think it just doesn't. Like I'm looking at the time as the as the as the movie is kind of clicking taking down to its ending. I'm saying I'm thinking okay, it's 1970, so what three minutes for credits? And I'm at uh, four minutes away from the end, yeah. <laughs> and they're just now walking over to the grave. No man, yeah, that a, was the dumb. you know uh, the the way movies would would end, and they would show you like there weren't really end credits, right? It would it would be a cast list, but that was mm-hmm. pretty much it. That's true. And and you would also get the words, the end, which was uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So this was much more entertaining than I was expecting going in. It is kind of slight, kind of complicated. Yeah. But it is ruthlessly effective in what it's done in its Elmore, Elmore Lundardosity. Um, so what do you give it, Chris? What's your rating? Oh, man. I'm going to give this a... Uh... Uh, a 3.5, mm-hmm. which is uh, what I gave Three Lives of Thomasina. <laughs> See, this is what I, but, uh, I think you need to unpack this a little. Why does this get the same thing as the Three Lives of fucking Thomasina? When this represents a milestone in McGowan's career, his first post-prisoner thing, yeah, I, you're talking I think it up. what it stands for is almost as important as what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe he undervalues it. But again, like I don't see the relish. I don't see him uh, the the delight. Like I I want to see um, Benoit Blanc when when he's doing well, Frank I mean, Long. Did he have that? When did he have that ever? When like oh, po- maybe in Braveheart, possibly in Braveheart. He, in Braveheart and he in the, the and in the Columbos, don't you think? Sure, sure. But he I don't know. He I I feel like he had more of a. There was something a little unhurried about that. Those performances, he knew he had time with that, and yeah, he, you know that. I mean, there are um, a lot of movies in which Bruce Willis plays a, a schlub, and I'm talking about the era. Like, forget about like the last ten years of Bruce Willis. Like when Bruce Willis actually becomes her. actually cared. Yes, I'm talking about Death Becomes Her. I'm talking about uh, Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I mean, a there there wasn't Sixth Sense really a schlub. Well, uh, a depressive, okay. a soft-spoken, sad guy. Where, where, I mean, he seems to be deliberately pushing against his tough guy image. His cocky image. tough guy, yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, Twelve Monkeys, too, maybe right? that's McGowan's version of the... I, I actually think he's really good in Twelve Monkeys. I know, but he's not. He's not a cocky, like, you know... No, no and uh, and Terry Gilliam really, really did not want to cast him, but, mm-hmm. um, but it worked out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm undervaluing this. Maybe Patty McGee is is having more fun being, you know, not just uh, uh, playing against type, but also like being 
outfoxed by everyone in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He's outfoxed by by Talby. He's outfoxed by Son Martin. He's the dumbest guy in this film for sure. Okay, maybe I'll give it a four, Glenn. Okay. And then when I factor in the fact that everything about this, from the title to the names of the characters to, of course, the the circumstances, the setting, the tone of the the narrative, that this this whole ninety or one hundred minute movie is a drive by trucker song, um, that pushes it up to a four point five. Four point five. Okay. I think you see in this the seeds of his Columbos, where he plays somebody who will be outwitted, outsmarted, and he he loves that. He might not be, re, you know, relishing the <laughs> the the performance itself. He might not be yeah. uh, throwing in a lot of filigree, but he is servicing the plot. And objectively, I would give this a five out of six. But if I am grading on a curve, with all of putting it against all the post-prisoner, and I don't mean post-prisoner yeah. literally, I mean like right. a non-prisoner Maguiana that we have uh, exposed ourselves yes. to. Columbo's accepted. I'm going to give this a six out of six. This is one of the most entertaining wow. things I have seen uh, that is not the prisoner, that is not Columbo, that Maguin is involved with uh, in in the history, the long and storied history of this podcast. So, But uh, objectively, if we're looking at everything, five out of six. Yeah, me. I think you're doing a, a really a, a better job of evaluating the text because I, I'm enjoying the project. I'm in, enjoying the work, and maybe I'm confusing that with enjoying the individual films. Yeah, I mean, if you can see an actor peeking out from behind the performance, that's fun, but is that, does that serve... <laughs> You know, do, like, do you need to have somebody just enjoy the the performance for it to to rank high? Because I mean, like, that's always going to be subjective. Because some actors are more, you know, their their subconscious is floating so close to the surface you can see its periscope, and some people yeah. are just more uh, are deeper, and uh, they they don't yeah. want to tip you off. They don't want to um, show you whether or not they're having fun. Not everybody is Jimmy Fallon, Chris. Not everybody is Jimmy oh, Fallon God. on SNL. Where yeah. <laughs> Where they can giggle and you're like, oh, okay, I see that you're having fun. I think James Corden is worse. James Corden is worse, objectively worse. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, that's 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 a rule of culture. Did, did he <laughs> did he do any other comedy? Did and doesn't it do? suck that? Did, why why did he never host the Muppet Show, Glenn? That's really what oh I want to know. Why did God. we never get a Muppet Show with Patty McGee? Because he was living in Santa Barbara, <laughs> wherever the hell he was, Santa Rosa, some Santa, uh, and he and didn't want to didn't want to go down the one hundred one. Slip over to London, no. Did they do the Muppet Show in London? They did. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yep, loved it, loved it, really liked it, really liked it, really think it's strong, really think it's. I mean, again, I don't want to oversell it, but I think this is just a really solid thing that shows up on YouTube that nobody ever talks about. Uh, I don't think Alan Alda is particularly strong in it, but I think just the story, the plot, I think Richard Widmark is exactly yeah. what he needs to be. Uh, Alda is miscast, I think. Uh, every, everybody miscast. else is yeah. pretty much in, in the pocket. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's not the kind of role that you expect for a top build. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of other films where the top build star, the name above title star, is the character with the the least power the character who gets their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I get, and and when you get that, it would it would mostly be comic stars, right? It wouldn't be. Yeah, well, I mean, like uh, Hamlet, isn't <laughs> doesn't really. Okay, well, really, you know, just, and uh, you know, Othello doesn't come to a good end, and uh, yes, <laughs> the get, the tragedy of of the Moonshine War and Macbeth, uh, you know, he doesn't they, it doesn't end well for him. Um, kind of gets overmatched uh, by spoiler fate. Yeah, spoiler. Yeah. 
But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but what's next is my question to you, because I, this is we're we're going outside. We're we're exposing the sausage, as it were. Uh, <laughs> we don't expose the sausage. We show it's it's made. Yeah. But like, I don't know what's next. What's next? Well, we have a a listener suggestion, okay. um, and uh, apologies to Andrew S. Who um, apparently um, wrote us on the t- with this petition earlier, and we must have overlooked it. Hello, I have been thoroughly. Enjo- oh wait, I forgot. We're. You know what? I don't think we need to omit the praise of our guests because no, they they deserve all the praise. So, uh, hello, I have been thoroughly enjoying and your guests. May I repeat a request? Please consider featuring the 1981 Canadian film Kings and Desperate Men. While the Cinema Verte film is challenging to find on wavy, grainy VHS, it is available to watch on YouTube. Link supplied below. It is also chock full of Patty McGee Ness and would be entirely appropriate for A Degree Absolute. Directed, co-written, and produced by co-star Alexis Canner. No box around his name this time. This hostage drama is never far away from prisoner-esque cat-and-mouse play between the two of them. It has passing similarities to Die Hard. Do you do you know this film, Glenn? Haven't heard of it. Don't, I, yeah. Don't to, As a Christmas film about hostages in a skyscraper, mm-hmm. Canner actually sued the makers of Die Hard unsuccessfully. Yeah. Please watch the film if you haven't already and consider featuring it on the podcast. Thanks again, Andrew S. Uh, done I mean, and Yeah, done. no, we, we have to. We must. Yeah, we have to. We must. Absolutely. I think we should also check out this uh, De Heert. It must be German, this uh, this this other film he was referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that uh, English title is The Hard. <laughs> I have rented that. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain, certain that you have. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's The Moonshine War, 1970. That's a six from you. A 4.5 from me. We are moving on to, to Kings and Desperate Men. Which is probably, let's let us let the listeners guess what a, that's a reference to. That must be some kind of poetic reference to. That must be, and I'm going to I'm gonna make a guess, and then you're going to make a guess, and the okay. listeners are going to make a guess. Right. I say it's Keats for no reason. And you say? W.H. Uh, Auden. Okay. Ah, all I'm getting is references to the movie Kings and Desperate Men is the title of a life in 18th century England but it can't be that because that's probably also riffing on the same thing that the movie is riffing on I mean this movie this movie's all over the place um, it's also on movie um, <laughs> movie not our sponsor this week or any week but whose fault is that come on movie sponsor us Chance, Kings and Desperate Men. That's another reference, but without, I'm not getting the actual. Mm. Ah, we no. were both wrong. This is John Donne. It is from ah. Death Be Not Proud. Death Be Not Proud. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor Death. Yet, nor yet canst thou kill me from rest and sleep. Which but thy pictures be, much pleasure then from thee, much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls' delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dust with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy and charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke, why swellest thou then? On short sleep past we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. 
death. Thou shalt die. John Dunn, damn it. Fuck. But anyway, that, that <laughs> it, 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 I'm, I'm relieved because otherwise it would have bugged me until we actually did yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you, you got that off your chest. That shouldn't have been a cliffhanger. Poetry, it always derails things. <laughs> it totally does. It totally does. Let's stick to prose. Let's stick to prose and amateurs. Right. Okay. In two weeks-ish, mm. be seeing you. Be seeing you. Young woman, share your fire with me My heart is cold, my soul is free I am a stranger in your land A wandering man, call me sand Oh, sir, my fire is very small It will not warm thy heart at all But thee may take me by the hand Hold me and I'll call thee sand The Degree Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemek. I also wrote our silly theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newsted on bass. Find out more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Write the Citizens Advice Bureau at a degreeabsolute at gmail.com. The emails have dried up, listeners. Please, please write to us. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a degreeabsolute. Tweet us at notanumberpod. And as ever, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use to hear our show along with your craziest prisoner take, we will read that take on a future episode. Finally, as our podcast enters its second year, I want to shout out Glenn's book, NPR's podcast startup guide, Create, Launch, and Grow a Podcast on Any Budget for invaluable advice and somewhat unconventional advice. We've all heard that if you're nervous speaking in public, you should imagine your audience naked. Glenn's book says you should actually just take your clothes off to record your podcasts. I, I don't know. Here's a, a clip from the Audible version read by the author. You know what I think we're going to do? We're going to have you take off everything right down to your skin. It's no degree partial. It's a degree absolute. And I have been um, fiddling with my Tascam. You know what I think it is? I think every time I turn yeah. it off, it resets to very low settings. So I have now been going out of my way. Yeah, give me I'm, more DBs. Here I am in the 12s. So That's what this we be want, better. those those 12s. I don't believe in perfect 10s. Uh-huh. That's nice. Always go for 12. <clears throat> All right. Adjectives. Tick, tick. <laughs> tick, tick. Psh, psh. Oh man, I just had three three good ones. Um, uh, this came to me. I'm gonna write them down. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I forgot you are. You do have that sweaty bit. We uh-huh. have sweaty bit. Of bits. course. And somehow I've gotten 
<clears throat> unclassifiable and unforgettable in here twice. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no jury in the world. Okay. Well, no, I got I got enough. I have fresh, sweaty stuff. It's oh, it's okay if we have to skip over <laughs> some of our familiar and, and customary sweaty stuff. Understood. Let's look at a sentence by Glenn Weldon writing about the new Batman movie for NPR. As he's confronted by a series of revelations about Gotham and his family's connections to it, his anger waxes and wanes. He begins to question himself and his motives. So, did you see any mistakes in that sentence by Glenn Weldon? I hope you did.